Nine Radio, a weekly podcast where we talk about music, and well, that's pretty much it. So, uh, let's go! What? What? Cheer, boy! Hey! came in a little bit early on my hay, but that's fine. That's fine. Because here on Asinine Radio, our imperfections are actually perfections. So okay, yeah. that's okay. what we are. My name is Tyler. Out there in the ether is uh is Jeff. He's on the other end. Ether. Not talking. Ignoring well, everything. You're talking. What do you want me to say right now? You could talk whenever you want. You could interrupt me. You interrupt me all the time. Uh, so why not? I don't interrupt you all the time. That's false. But you do. That, I've never once interrupted you. But you're interrupting me right now. Well, here, a knock-a-knock-a joke? I would love to hear a knock-a-knock knock knock knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. Captain Moo! <laughs> <laughs> that was really dumb. Was be, that was dumb. Yeah, I was supposed to be interrupting cow. <laughs> oh, how did you say Captain Cow? <laughs> I think Adam, you heard, you heard wrong. Your ears are stupid. Oh, I, you cut out, and I thought you heard. I thought you said Captain Cow. Because he's interrupting cow, then you say interrupting cow hoop, but then you say moo as you're talking. <sighs> well, I fucked that joke up, didn't I? That's right. I said a good time. Oh my god! Oh my god! All right. Well, this is Asinine Radio. We're the best podcast in the world, and um, we could be listened to wherever you normally listen to podcasts. And go to iTunes. Go rate, rev- rate, review, and subscribe to us in there. Follow us on social media. Asinine Radio. I'm talking really fast because this week we're getting into. The Public Enemy album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. Too black, too strong. Yo, Chuck, these early dribbles are still front on us. So that we can do this, because we always do this. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah, boy. Bass, how low can you go? Death Row, what a brother know. Once again, back is the incredible rhyme animal, the uncannable thief. Public Enemy number one, five folks said freeze. And I got numb.
questions like questioning it. Black as they call us a black, but we'll see if they'll play this. Public Enemy formed was formed by Chuck D and Flavor Flav in 1985 in Long Island, New York. They currently have 14 albums, four compilations, two live album, albums, and have sold many millions of copies worldwide. The album we're doing today is called It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, and it's the group's second album, and it was released June 28, 1988. It features Chuck D on vocals, Flavor Flav, Flavor Flavor Flav, on vocals and as the hype man and Terminator X as the DJ and on turntables. This album has sold several million copies and it remains one of the most influential hip-hop albums of all time. So there you go. There's a quick little synopsis of the group. End of this album. And we're going to get way more into this and it's going to be fucking great, I think. I hope. So what are your first impressions, Jeff, on this album? Because I really knew nothing about Public Enemy, and this is your pick for the week. So, what do you got? I never, I've never really been into Public Enemy ever. My, I mean, I've heard various songs over time. The only time that I ever really thought to look into them was when I saw uh, End of Watch. Remember that 2012 cop movie with Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal, spicy, spicy. So and in the movie End of Watch, they played the the Public Enemy song "Harder Than You Think." Okay, and that song is just absolutely a beyond banger. That's a, that's a double. That's a BB. That's a beyond banger. A beyond banger. And so it, probably 2012 was when I even thought about listening to Public Enemy, but um, I didn't listen to this particular album of Public Enemy. The It Takes a Nation of Millions, and so I didn't really know too much about them. Even still, going into here, and I don't know why. Like I just never. I've always focused like more so like on the strict like gangster rap stuff yeah. and didn't really dive into kind of like this more enlightened style of rapping. And I think a lot of it has to do with Flava Flav and how much I thought he was kind of a joke, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And I thought he was kind of useless and I thought he was silly because the whole flavor of Love thing and the surreal life. I was a victim of my environment, you know. I was I was a victim of the media. The media portrayed Flava as just kind of like this washed up nobody, and so I think that's why I never gave Public Enemy a chance. And then when I started reading more about Chuck D in recent years, and how he joined Prophets of Rage, and Prophets of Rage was just it's just dumb. It's just a dumb group. Didn't need to happen. So vanilla, very vanilla. The Foo Fighters of of what could have been. And so that's mm-hmm. like I, like everything was working against my mind which I should have just listened to Public Enemy instead of convinced myself not to listen to Public Enemy. But damn, when I when I listened to this album this week. Whew. Was it the first time you listened to this record? Through and through, first time. Really? Yep. Oh shit, so you were just as new as me. I thought yeah. you, had, you had some sort of history with it. No, I just, because we've done various hip-hop albums in the past that have been hailed as like the greatest ever. And this like was, yeah, which was great. The 36 Chambers, I mean, that's hard. Oh, that's man. tough to beat. But this one has always been been kind of in like that top five, top three lists of people, of uh, top hip hop albums of all time, and, and I felt like this was this was finally. I've always wanted to do this too, but just I've always been kind of 
uneasy about diving into the history and things like that, just because I know really yeah. nothing about this band. It's a lot of research. It was a lot, but it was it was all really interesting, and it, it was a good time this week. I, I didn't listen to their entire discography. I just listened to their first album and this one. Um, different albums for sure, but th- this one is much better than the first record. Uh, so my, my thing too, you know, I, I knew nothing about public enemy except, you know, like prophets of rage and then rage against the machines. They used to do covers of it. And then of course I knew the, the anthrax public enemy version of bring the noise because that was on Tony Hawk. Um, and that was pretty much it. And then flavor Flav on, on the surreal life and the flavor of love, right? Yeah. Flavor of love. Yeah. Brigitte Nelson. Brigitte Nelson. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that's, that was my extent, you know, I don't even know that that was that that was all of my knowledge of Public Enemy, and so I never dove in and got into it. And fuck, man, I was pleasantly surprised. Chuck D, man, he has he has one of the most com- I always he has one of the most commanding voices in hip hop. I always thought like Ice Cube always held that crown, but after listening to Chuck D, I mean, he blows Ice Cube out of the water when it comes to his the power in his voice and how he can control. What I agree. he's saying and like what what he what he's trying to say, you know, and and this this album too made me realize like kind of how lame uh, gangster rap is. I mean, it, it's not lame, but in the context of of this, it's just this is like leaps and bounds over gangster rap and anything like Death Row Records and anything that NWA was doing at the time. This this just this says so much more, both with both musically. And with the message that they're trying to convey, this is like so much more thought provoking than what Gangster Rap was doing at the time. I think I think I, you're right. You're 100 percent right. That's like the biggest difference for me too. Was when listening to this, I realized that a lot of the music that I liked, I li- a lot of the hip hop music that I like and listen to regularly, is just more of like a declaration of of social injustices. Whereas this is like this kind of call to arms, and and for anyone and everyone who opposes like said injustices right like gangster rap mm. kind of focuses on what's wrong and calls it out this does the same thing but also says hey we can work together and fix it we can work together and change it and i think that's what elevates this into something bigger is because yeah. it's not just a problem he's presenting a problem and he also presents a solution to the problem which is just like mind-blowing to think that he can even do while also rapping but also what i've noticed too with 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 uh with public enemy is that they don't glorify the injustices like a lot of gangster rap does. Like a lot of what NWA talks about, they, they glorify the drive-bys, they glorify the violence, the, the drugs and all that. And that, that's it. That's as far as it goes. Public enemy, they, they talk about it, but they don't, but they, like you said, they come up with the solution or they, they try to come up with a solution. They try to evolve from not evolve. That's a, that's bad, not evolve, but like they try to, they try to, I guess solutions. It's, the it's best, a different the best approach, way. and it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, a breath of fresh air. It's a very proactive approach rather yeah. than just talking about it. You know, I still like Which the I, gangster I rap good. aspect of of hip hop. I I still enjoy it, but it's also nice to hear that these guys can do because a lot of the songs on here kind of go hand in hand with like gangster rap and the way they sound and the way they're produced, but also lyrically, it's just elevated to a to a, to a, to a higher degree, a different degree. Yeah, and I feel like not just not just lyrically, but just the production and and what goes on behind the scenes. It was way more influential and way more 
intricate than a lot of what gangster rap is. And don't get me wrong, I think Dr. Dre is one of the greatest producers of the genre, but what they were doing on this album and like reading more on, on how this album was made on the back end, it just it kind of blew my mind. And how great Terminator X was on the turntables and how what he could do with with all the samples and everything and and then Chuck D and how he was like able to just mesh so well with the beats and I I remember once something specific I read about the song Bring the Noise the the kind of breakdown when you hear the James Brown funk beat that's used like in every fucking song yeah like hip hop song what ended up happening was that was a mistake that they ended up keeping in they they weren't actually they didn't want to go into that beat but he, they accidentally hit the wrong button and it played that beat and Chuck D just changed his style to to mesh with that beat for that that moment for that like what 10 second moment or whatever so a a complete mistake ended up being like one of the best parts to me of that song so i I thought that was super super cool i mean this there's there's so many there's so many things in this this album in this group i don't even know where to like start i guess i guess we can start with (laughs) flavor flav right yeah because flavor flav has been like the reason why i never got into public enemy because i think he's an idiot but damn, he's so good in this. He is so he is great. fucking he's, good. He is the perfect hype man. <laughs> he's amazing. He's not like the first hype man. I mean, they've been around for many, many years before him. But he yeah. is for sure like the definition of hype man and popularized it and kind of made it like an acceptable household name or position to be a hype man, right? Mm-hmm. And he, But like, not only is he like a hype man, he's like a perfect sidekick, right? So I don't, I don't know is. if Chuck D could deliver these super serious messages without Flava Flav because at some point the casual listener is going to lose interest. The harder mm-hmm. you beat it in like that without using a ton of like bad words like cussing like gangster rap does because Chuck D doesn't cuss a whole lot. No, he doesn't. And so when you when you have these serious messages without like cussing, without these buzzwords, the, the casual listener is going to lose interest. This, this is what happens. It's natural. So Flavor Flav is there to boom, knock you back into reality. Make sure you're listening. Make sure you're paying attention. And I think Chuck D knows that. And that's why from the beginning, I mean, going back further, when I was reading that Rick Rubin didn't understand why Flavor Flav was even there. Mm-hmm. And he only wanted Chuck D. But Chuck D was like, nah, you take both of us or you take none of us. And then bringing that's both great. of them in. Chuck D knew that from the beginning. He knows that. And he knows that Flavor Flav is not like the greatest or the best, but he knows that he needs him almost as much as Flavor needs Chuck D. Yeah, no, they, they absolutely need one another. It's it's crazy how, how how well they work off of one another. Another, it's it's one of those cases in a band or a group where you have two people that are like the polar opposites, but they work so well together. And I'm I'm gonna make this reference because I, we always got to talk about Blink. Sure, every but, time. But Tom and Mark, you know, they are the opposite when it comes to the the sound of their vocals. I mean, but they need that that push and pull. They need that dynamic. And that's another reason why I think Public Enemy and Flavor Flav and Chuck D work so well together is because they had that. And it's just the way that they play off of each other too. It's like you were saying, Flavor Flav doesn't overdo it at all. Like he's there in the back, but he knows when to come up front and just just throwing like just stupid little words or just yell or something. It's so it sounds so dumb, but it just for some reason it works so well with this these guys. And it's it's, it's never like the same thing. Like Flavor Flav never does kind of the same thing. It's never just like a call and answer, or it's never just 
a repeated word or it's never mm-hmm. like a back and forth verse. It's like one of everything. Like every song has something a little bit different. And then one song they do at the same, they they rap at the same time. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to definitely get into that song because that's the last song on the record. But there was another song I wanted to talk about. Might as well talk about it now. Um, let me, oh, fuck. let me look up through my notes. It's later in the album. Um, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Which one is it? It's the one where he talks about being in jail. Or oh, Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos? Yeah, 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 that song. So what I like about this song a lot vocally is that it, Chuck D is, is talking through his viewpoint of you know being in, in jail and talking about the injustices of the incarceration rate of, of African-Americans in the U.S. and all that stuff. And then kind of halfway through the song or partway through the song, uh, Flavor Flav comes in and he's kind of like his his consciousness yeah. he's kind of chuck d's consciousness and he's saying we could break out you know you can break out i know you could do it and it's just kind of him talking him through the idea of breaking out of prison and being free again so i i like that too he kind of plays his consciousness and i feel like maybe the uh what's the eminem song the dr. The dr dre eminem the guilty conscience yeah guilty conscience yeah I that's like, what i was thinking too i feel like that song is directly inspired by this public enemy song like 100 percent it has to be because Eminem has cited public enemy as one of his biggest influences. So I can absolutely, absolutely see that. It's pretty crazy. Like when you look at just how many people, how many artists, how many groups cite public enemy as, as a, uh, as an inspiration. I mean, for you know, t- taking them at their word, but like one band that I saw was, was Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. I said that public enemy. And I think this album in particular too, is one of his like favorite albums. It's just, it's just, it's, it's nice. It's they nice kind of transcended genres of music, which is great. I even saw like um, I looked up. I was looking to bring the noise stuff, and there was even like a Benny Benassi, uh, like trance remix of it. Like this, that song and this group have just really defied all genres of music, and everybody is at least into one song of by them. You know, I think that's great. So like, it really shows their longevity. Just to get into Bring the Noise more so, because there's a lot to to unpack here. That that first word that Chuck says, bass. Yeah. That's like, because like now that I know what it is, I hear Sloan's trance music sometimes. Mm-hmm. When they when they say like drop the bass, like in different things like that, and the, the drop comes in. I've heard things say just bass before. And then when I read more into it, saying that a lot of like techno artists, I'm going to call all electronic music techno, a lot of techno artists <laughs> use that word, the just that little phrase that Chuck D says bass to transition transition into the drop of their techno song. Oh, that's great! And I've heard it before. Like I fucking that, heard it before. I never knew that's what it was. I've never. I've, I don't think I've ever heard it outside of Public Enemy or like the Anthrax song. But that's cool. That makes but, perfect sense. But like for sure, I think Bring the Noise is is like. Definitely top three songs on this album. I think so too. Yeah, this is one of my bangers on the record. Um, I do want to talk about. I mean, since we're on Bring the Noise, we got to talk about the re- the the remake, the Anthrax remake. I mean, I know we talked about it a few weeks ago because I brought it to the songs of the week. But I mean, I think this is like one of the coolest mashups. This 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 mashup is better than the Run DMC and Aerosmith Walk This Way. Oh, like one hundred percent better. It, it like it's it it's unbelievable to me that well it's not unbelievable because of what they talk about, but it's it is pretty crazy to think that the subpar like original like mix up of rap and rock 
the worst one of those was the one that blew up the run dmc one it just it makes no sense that this anthrax one was not as big it it's a million times better i mean yeah but the run dmc aerosmith one clearly that's more accessible than this one is mm-hmm. it's more pleasant on the ears if you're you know, a sixteen-year-old trying to get into something new—that's that's, that's going to be your gateway. True, but man, it just—it sucks. Well, I—I'm I, going to play a little bit of the um, the uh, the one that they did in 1991 with Anthrax. Here we go. That song really is really good. Even after listening to the Public Enemy original version, I still think that that version's like really good. I think this. I think the Anthrax Anthrax version might be better than the original, but barely, like fucking barely there. I'm not even gonna fight you on that one. Like I, that's that. <laughs> there, you can make a hard case for that. It's so solid, and especially considering the singer of Anthrax doesn't sing on the track, makes it that much better. You know, if he would have added his own vocals to it, it would have just been fucking awful it could have gone so south so fast but it's great and then the video i was just watching the video because that's what i was playing it from and it's just so cool because they're just playing on this small little stage like underneath the train like some train in new york and just the crowds going wild and trains going by it's such a like such a new york video like (laughs) it's so typical 80s new york and i love it It, it's great fantastic song great remix right so what so okay i guess we'll continue on bring the noise like going back to the beginning of that part where where it was i don't know if that was like a malcolm if that was malcolm x singing the too black too strong or if that was somebody reading a malcolm x speech yeah i don't i'm not i don't i don't i don't remember but going, i don't think it really says but going into that that too strong that too black too strong was from a malcolm or an excerpt from a malcolm x speech which basically talked about how he was kind of using like a like a meta, like a metaphor as coffee and saying that coffee on its own has, is, is very distinctive. It has a distinctive taste and smell. It's hot, but most people try to add like cream to it to alter the taste. Yeah. And it also cools it down and it like alters the coffee. So it's no, like the more cream you add to it, the less original it is. Do you want me to read you the quote? Do you have it? I have the quote. Why right would you just say me. that then? Because I didn't want to interrupt you, but here, but yeah. So like you cow. said, <laughs> 
too black too strong that that's what they they sampled from and it, from what it looks like it was from an actual speech of his and the actual quote is it's just like when you're when you've got some coffee that's too black which means it's too strong what do you do you integrate it with the cream you make it weak but if you pour too much cream in it you won't even know you ever had coffee it used to be hot it becomes cool it used to be strong it becomes weak it used to wake you up now it puts you to sleep it's it's a very strong quote it really says a lot but i think so. oh my god i just i think that that's everything public enemy stood for yeah oh absolutely especially i mean reading the lyrics of this record that's what this is the perfect setup for what they talk about on the rest of the record it's a great starting point it, it lets you know what you're getting yourself into i just throughout I, the rest of the album. I, I i just i feel like public enemy never once wanted to wage war on any race or any any politician or anything like that it was just more of just for like society in general but again saying that we all together all of us can change this and i think that yeah. quote kind of goes along with that and especially starting the song off with a too black too strong because public enemy were too black and they were too strong at the time like that they, they were, were they were too black and too strong for their own good they, they, they were like the yo bum rush the show i mean production wise is a little bit different than this one yeah and this one's a little faster a little heavier and so i think they they tailored it a little bit but i mean looking at bands like run dmc and also ll cool j who up until this week i didn't know ll cool j was really fucking cool prior to mama's gonna knock you out (laughs) that song's so lame it's so (laughs) terrible but he was really cool before that like i played like two or three just old songs he's been around since like 80 like his first album was like 85 or 86 Really, I didn't know it was that old. Yeah. I thought it was more like maybe 90, 91. All I know of LL Cool J is Mama's Gonna Knock You Out. And I know, and that song is so lame. Terrible like <laughs> cameos in movies, right? <laughs> but he had some really cool music prior to that. And then they went on this tour, right, with Rum DMC, Public Enemy, and LL Cool J, Oof. which was just like mind-blowing. And But yeah, like like Public Enemy, just like their, their persona, everything they've done is just... It's never violent, but it's definitely never like backing down i guess yeah i feel like that kind of the theme of this record is is them you know this is like a hit back at everybody that said anything negative about them uh on their first record saying you know you just don't like us because you know we're we're making you question things and you know we're we're you know african-americans here in the united states and we make better music than everything that's on pop radio you know, and they even like they even make reference to the Beastie Boys, who they were label mates with and that they liked. They sampled one of their songs kind of and they kind of reworked one of their songs. So it's kind of like it was them kind of proving that they could do better than everybody else. And they succeeded in that. But and that was kind of like one of the overall themes to me on this record. And then they they threw in like some more specific things like, you know, the war on drugs and incar- mass incarceration and all that kind of stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into more. But. Yeah, that that's kind of how I felt about it. Good stuff. But yeah, it's 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 great. So let's get into um one let's more get thing. Into some other what? One more what thing. It's Flavor Flav says that he ain't he's just like Flavors ain't going out like that. And he says a couple times in the song and I was just wondering if like Cypress Hill their song ain't going out like that is an inspiration from this song. Was Cypress Hill that old though? No, Cypress Hill came after this. Oh, like okay. there's that song came after this song. So I was wondering if that song drew inspiration from that specific oh, line. Oh, I see what you mean. Said, I ain't going out like that. 
And then my favorite Probably. line in this whole thing that Flava says was he says, we can do this just like Buddhists. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. It is. It's so solid, right? It's so positive yeah. and it's so comforting and it's so almost like pacifist. It's, it is, but it also great. like it, it makes them come off as like the bigger person, you know? Yes. That they can that they can fight you with just words and they can use them as bullets. Words know? are like bullets. Exactly. Yeah, this song's a banger. Wait, I guess like going back, are there any are there any stinkers in this album for you? No, no stinkers at all. Are there any not OKs? A, not even no. They're all good. Okay. Not all I mean not all like certified bangers, but they're all good. It's all good. What about the um the the intro, the countdown to Armageddon? I thought it was good. I, it it's an intro. It's not a bad intro. It didn't disinterest me. But that's not like I'm recording put on a from a show they did. And I think I think that venue too was was kind of notable because that venue after this Def Jam tour ran through it because it was so crazy that venue stopped allowing hip hop acts to perform there for many years. What venue was it? Uh it says in the song not that not that song, but later on I think it was like London or something. It's in London. Yeah, it's in yeah. London. In one yeah, of the I, songs I later on, they, they do another live thing prior, like an intro to the song, and they say where it's at, but I forgot where it was. Yeah. Well, Countdown to Armageddon, that was the original title of this record. Before they, they, they ended up changing it, obviously. But yeah, that was the original title for it, was Countdown to Armageddon. I, which I don't think is that cool of a record, a record title for them. I, I it like too it, metal. but... Yes, but like in hindsight now, I don't think it would hold up as well. Counting Armageddon, like you said, is definitely metal, definitely cheesy. Yeah, it's it's a dated kind of thing. It's very nineties or early two thousands sounding. Yeah, it's dated. And I think it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. I think that's I think that goes along more so with the message public enemies trying to say rather than like, hey, there's a countdown till we explode. That just kind of sounds like childish and yeah. And they're just gonna, they're just gonna be pissed. Yeah. Yep. 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 Let's see what else do we got here. Oh, there was also um, I noticed too like several of the songs. There's a lot of um, I didn't know this until this week, but there was a lot of references to uh, was it Louis Louis is it Louis or Louis Farrakhan? I don't remember how what, how to pronounce it, but. He's like the leader of the Nation of Islam. Yeah. And I didn't know that they were that pro-Islam and that pro-Palestinian. And from what I read, too, um, was it Terminator or was it? Uh, Griffin. It was Griff. Yeah, Professor Griff. He got in a lot of trouble like in 89. He got booted. He got kicked out of the group and then eventually brought back like a month later. Toot him and boot him. Yeah, for saying that he was pro-Palestinian and he said that was it like the Jews are the cause of the world's problems or something like that? So they kicked him out of the group, but then brought him back. But yeah, I, I didn't realize that they were that pro-Islam, and uh, which is good, but I just didn't expect it from them, you know? I think that, because he claimed Professor Griff or Richard Griffin, uh, the Ministry of Information or whatever the hell they call them. Yeah, they all have like nicknames like that or like titles. I think he claimed that his words were taken out of context and Chuck D initially kind of like backed him and then didn't back him and then like temporarily kind of disbanded the group and then brought them back together, then kicked him out. Yeah. So it was really weird. So I did, I, 
that was kind of, I think it was like the next album or the album after that, but then that was like the last time he was ever in Public Enemy. Yeah, it's it was I a lot of things I didn't expect from the group at all. Um but uh let's get into what what's your what's your biggest banger on this one? Oh, probably there is one probably Night Night of the Living Bassheads. Okay. That's one of my certified bangers as well. That's probably my favorite song because I like that that horn sample. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that's really cool. Whatever that thing is that goes through the whole song. Yeah. And then I found like the song that it, that it was taken from, and that song has so many goddamn samples in it. Like they use so many samples in that song that I almost thought like it could be because that whole like Night of Living Bassheads is kind of like uh, like a like a play on the whole crack cocaine debate. Yeah. And and I, I thought them using that many samples could be kind of like a middle finger to that debate and that public enemies trying to make all these people who are being sampled listen to the song and kind of get on board to what they're saying type of thing. Yeah. Like rally the troops type of thing, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, because they, they make mention of like, you know, the, the crack epidemic of the 80s and everything and how that was possibly started by the CIA and um and kind of like how all that stuff evolved and just how the that happened because you know people weren't talking about drugs as much there weren't as many drug related crimes as there used to be so then the CIA you know started the the crack epidemic and then that led to the rise of that and then more mass incarceration so it it, it was it's a, it's an interesting subject subject for that time period because it's so new and it's it's unusual for a group or a band to to be that vocal about something that controversial. It's 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 something else too because it's like objectively biased, right? Mm-hmm. If you have X amount of crack versus X amount of cocaine, the punishment's like ten to one. Yeah, ten years no per sense. one year. Like, it, and then like clearly, like nobody can afford cocaine over crack. I mean, come on, come yeah. on. Crack so is like cheap. Clearly, this so is Houston biased said. towards like people in inner cities or, or the underprivileged people. It's it's terrible, mm-hmm. and we everybody knew it. I mean, I was too young to do crack. I guess I could do crack cocaine when I was like six or seven, right? <laughs> no, this is like eighty nine. You, huh? you could be the new Sid Vicious, <laughs> but I was like two or three when this came out. But yeah, that that that's probably my favorite, just because that horn sample and that the song that I was taken from was called "The Grunt" by, by I guess by JB. J dot yeah. B dot. I don't know who I don't know who that is or the JBs. Yeah, because like I'm looking f- up the, the my, all the samples right now. It's ex- it's an extensive list. My favorite samples. I, I looked them all up and then kind of wrote them down. But that that sample comes in at like the 50 second mark of that song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you got it queued up. You can queue it up if you want. 50 it's a, seconds. I could do that. Yeah. I think it's like 50 seconds in. Play that song called "The Grunt" by JB, and you'll hear a horn. As soon as you hear the horn, just stop it, and then you can play bass heads <laughs> if you want. But that's the song we're talking about is Night of the Bass Head. Yeah, but I want you to play the horn sample, Foist. Foist? Do you want me to play it, Foist? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Here's uh, here's the part Jeff's talking about. Please don't confuse this with the sound. I'm talking about They play it through like the whole song, though. I meant play the original. Oh, you want to play the original? The song God they it. sampled it from. Why, you why didn't would I say, say that. I did. I, I said don't know. play the JB song uh, second You did mark. not. I did say that. When you edit this podcast, you'll realize I did say that, and you'll text me saying sorry. No, I. you did not say that I'll, at, I'll, at all. I'll expect that text. <laughs> You're not going to get it because I know it's not what you said. It, but. 
but because that's not what you said. If, if it is what I truly said, will you text me? I will, but okay. that's not what you said. Okay. Oh my god, here we go. Here we go. Queuing it up, going to the fifty second mark. Give me a little bitch about it. So here we go. Such a small part. Such a small part. But that's that's the beauty of like Sam. It, it came out like right as you faded away. That's when it came into. But that's like oh, the beauty whatever. of of sampling in hip hop, right? That's why yeah. I love like I, I love these guys that like the Bomb Squad. That was the the dudes that did all of like the sampling for this Public Enemy album. Mm-hmm. Was I, I love the fact that they listen to a song and they, they grew up with these songs and they hear one second or like two or three seconds of a song. And they say, that is fucking legit. They take that record, they take that one little three second part and make it into an entire song. I know it's it's great the the mu- the creativeness of it all. It, it's really remarkable, and I feel like a lot of musicians nowadays or producers nowadays don't put that much thought and effort into what they're what they're creating. You no, know? It, this it's like a search for BPMs and like okay, this matches with what I'm trying to do. But like these yeah. guys and, and other songs too that we'll get into a little bit later. Like they take that same song and then they'll lower it like an octave or hover raise it or speed it up or slow it down, but they like that specific part and they also mesh it with like the drum beat or every, whatever it is. And they got like four or five different songs coming together all at once. And then Chuck D and Flava. It's too much, yeah. man. It's too it much. Is. So I'm gonna play a little bit of a uh, Night Night of the Living Bass Heads because it's a banger too, so here it is. language we love our religion our culture our god and many of us by the way we act we even lost our mind here it is bam and you say god damn this is a dope jam but let's define the term called dope and you think it ain't funky now no here is a true tale by the ones that deal all the ones that fail yeah you can move if you want to move what it proves you feel like the groove the problem is this we gotta fix it, check out the justice and how they run it. Smelling, smelling, sniffing, dripping, and brothers trying to get swifted. Some of their own, rob a home, while some shrivel a bone, like comatose walking around. Please don't confuse this with the sound. I'm talking about together too. The bells of those that boost the dose of lack of lack and those that sell the black. Shame on the brother when they dealing. The safe block where my 98 be wheeling. And everybody know another key low. From a corner from a brother keep another below. And stop killing and killing. Stop grilling. Yo black yo. Four five o'clock in the morning. Wait a minute y'all. I noticed too there's not Flavor Flav's not really in this song. No not really. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Whatever. Still Did you notice too that, that he says, I mean, I don't know if that's relevant, but he says rock the bells in there? No, I didn't hear I didn't, I didn't hear that. So I don't know if like that was a, if that's where that thing came from, but I also, I think LL Cool J also had a rock the bells song too, like in the 80s. I don't know which oh, one okay. came first, but. I don't either. I do not know either. But like you were saying, man, there's a shit ton of samples on this song going from the temptations to david bowie aretha franklin uh fuck man a lot of shit 
They even they sample themselves. Yeah, the noise. <laughs> they, <laughs> There's uh, several songs where they just sample themselves. I love it. Yeah, they sample Run DMC, which is interesting. I thought it was interesting. Salt and Pepper, um, and then the the beginning was was from the speech was came from a uh, Khalid Abdul Muhammad, and he was like the let's see, he was the black nationalist leader in the United States who became a prominent figure in the Nation of Islam and later the New Black Panther Party. So, yeah, that. That was that's where the speech came from at the beginning. So I wonder if like the entire group are Muslim or if it's maybe just Chuck or I don't know. I don't know it's either. Interesting. I, it's interesting what they what they've taken from religion. Much it's really interesting. Much like the Mars Volta thing that we did, it was it was difficult not to like fall down different rabbit holes. Yeah. Of I don't know, just like anything. There's a lot to this band and a lot to each of these people. Well, I mean, obviously they're they're a very very they admire malcolm x a lot and he was muslim as well so maybe that's kind of the connection but uh, yeah there, there's a lot of a lot of references to, references to it in this on this album but yeah let's uh let's get into something else but like what's your what's your favorite but do you like, have a favorite song here what's your favorite song what's... i have i got I'm, I'm i got two or maybe three let's see i got i mean bring the noise obviously that's I mean that song is such a fucking banger. Uh Louder Than a Bomb is really, really good. And wait, what's the flavor flavor one? The one where it's where it's just cold lampin? Like cold lampin with flavor? Yeah, cold is that yeah, the one where it's just it's the solo song. It's just like him almost freestyling towards the end. He doesn't even know what the yeah. fuck he's doing. It gets so sloppy it. and so gross and so good. <laughs> cold lampin with flavor, that's the song. The whole song is just it's so the, chaotic and there's so much going on here. Yeah, so apparently I I didn't know this either because I I thought I thought Flavor Flav was strictly a hype man. I never knew that they gave him parts or that he ever got parts or that he ever got an entire song. But apparently they they treated his contribution to the group the same way like the Beatles did with Ringo Starr. So he was he was allowed. Not, I don't want to say allowed, but yeah. he had one solo track on every every Public Enemy record. There was one solo track of his, which I thought was cool. You know, yeah. and uh, and this one is just. It's great. It's chaotic, and like you said, and he's actually not that bad of a rapper. He's not. He kind of has. He kind of has a pretty decent flow, and I never knew that. I thought the reason why he was a hype man was because he had no flow. He's actually like a but talented musician too, according to like Chuck yeah. D. Like he's he knows how to play a lot of instruments. He can play the piano at like age five. He sang in yeah, church choir crazy. his whole life. Apparently, he he shreds it on guitar as well. Like I've heard that too on bass. Like he's just. Like one of those like um multi instrumentalists. Like, yeah, he's absolutely fucking insane. And I mean I, I let let's play a little bit of Cold Lampin with Flavor because I wanna play it, but then I also want to talk about another contribution he has in another song. Because it, it it goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about. So here's the uh the solo uh flavor flavor song. No more music by the suckers. No more music by the suckers. Yo, man, what do he mean by suckers, man? Yo, he don't try to put a black guy in the game. But yo, we gonna let you put a black guy in the game, boy. You know what I'm saying? Come to the payoff. Thank you. 
tell you, leave flavor, flavor alone, knocker. A clock on my chest, prove I don't pass. I'm a clock on rocker. That's cold lamping with flavor. <laughs> I like when he says so like solid. the super califragile, whatever the fuck he says. <laughs> it's so it's good. It is. It's so good. It's so much fun. And it's it's just him talking about how great he is, you know? And just like, you know, he's pretty much saying like, fuck all the radio, fuck all the negativity that we get. I'm way better than all of you and I know it. And it's just like him just going off nonsensically. It, it's great. It's fucking great. What's well, cool too, like if you notice he says cold Medina in this song. Mm-hmm. And do you, and you remember that song, Funky Cole Medina? Oh, yeah. By Tone Loke? Yeah, he says it several times on the record, too. It's not just the song. Yeah, so, like, apparently, that Tone Loke song came out a year after this did, and apparently Flava Flav met with Tone Loke and suggested to him that he uses that Cole Medina in, like, the oh. hook of Funky Cole Medina. And that's where... Fucking look at that. That's where that came I wonder if he from. got songwriting credit from that. I doubt it. I Honestly, I doubt they were probably, like... That particular, I don't want to say like smart enough to do it. I don't think they were business savvy enough. I don't think Flav was business savvy enough to realize that. I think. Well, I mean, from what I was reading too, the reason why they they sampled so many things on this record is because they didn't have to pay any royalties. They didn't have to ask for permission. It it was like the wild west of sampling back in the eighties, where you could just do whatever the fuck you wanted, and nobody did anything about it. (laughs) You know, because there was no like there was no like YouTube and Spotify. Like nobody could fact check this shit unless you wrote the song. There is no way. And then even if you wrote the song, you have to hire a lawyer and it's all these steps yeah. to take. Like, it's not even worth it. You're right. Well, to kind of go along with uh, Flavor Flav doing more than just, you know, being the hype man and kind of how we touched upon him being like a, a, a multi-instrumentalist. So the song Rubble Without a Pause, instead of like using the loop of James Brown's Funky Drummer song, uh, they decided to have just Flavor Flav play on a drum machine just continuously and that would be the backing track. So he played the entire song, the five minutes and two seconds without any breaks, without any cuts or anything. He just played it. And then Chuck D said, that's why, that's what gives that song its like own edge or its own like vibe and feel. It was because it was actually Flavor Flav playing on the drum machine. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, that's rad. I, I, and that's like the only instrument that I know, f- I mean, if you call it an instrument, that's the only thing I know Flavor Flav can do is I know he can play the drums because I've seen him play drums mm-hmm. in various, I don't know, like sh- things on MTV or whatever. What, what, no, VH1, VH1 is one that stuff VH1, was on. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen him play the drums before. And so I can only imagine like all these guys in the studio just just having like a good time and they're all really talented musicians I don't know, man. It's just, and, and then like another thing I read too about Professor Griffin and Flavor Flav was, I, I think that Professor Griff didn't like Flavor that much, and that's another reason why they kind of like booted him out of the band. They kind How can of you not like him though because Professor Griff thought the band was going to be super serious and kind of like one dimensional in that they were only going to focus on the politically charged lyrics in a serious tone, and Flavor Flav brought that kind of goofy edge to it. And Professor Griff thought that kind of downplayed what they're what the like the message they were saying, which I can understand. I get it. Yeah. But again, dude, you just like you can't keep people's attention that long. As like a from a business standpoint, like you just you can't keep people's attention that long if you don't have any kind of comic relief or any kind of relief in general. Yeah. That goes with any form of entertainment, you know. And uh, and that that kind of him being a drummer and everything, it kind of makes sense that he wears a giant clock around his neck. 
keep the time. He's the, he's the timekeeper, you know? I, read, I, think, I thought that was a cool, like, little well, okay, so like Easter egg, things. I guess. Two things was Chuck D also used to wear a clock, right? So oh, I didn't know that. Like, he wore a clock very briefly, and he, he took it off because he didn't like it. But he was like, fuck it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it. And then for a long time, people would ask him, like, hey, like, why do you wear a clock on your, on your, on your neck? And he'd be so I can know what time it is. Like, that was his <laughs> response. Like, just, like, the fuck That's you mean? Why do I wear a clock? So I can know what fucking time it is. <laughs> Love it. I do, too. But on, okay, so, like, going back to the, to the Rebel Without a Pause, mm-hmm. again, I, I try to get more into, like, the poetry aspect of, of music. The more we do these podcasts, the more I try and dive into it. It's very difficult for me because I've never done any of this before, and it. I don't understand a lot of it, a lot of these terms they use. Same here. And so the rebel that a pause thing, the more I kind of read into the type of of poetry that is being done here, it's called a, a cisura. I have and no And what idea. that is, is a pause, as a pause after, after like lines, mm-hmm. lines in, in like a stanza, right? You got like four lines in a, in a verse, let's say. So, for instance, like the the, 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 the Limbic album, High, Everything's Great, after High, there's a comma and then a pause, right? Yeah. So you say, High, Everything's Great. And so the song Rebel Without a Pause, people love that because it's kind of a play on the Rebel Without a Cause thing, but it's also Chuck D claims that he's a rebel without a pause, but like literally in the first lines, like the first the whole like verse, all he does is continuously pause and pause and pause and pause. <laughs> I like that. I didn't, I didn't read about that, but that's great. Wow, that's that, awesome. I tried to look into this other thing too. I just could not fucking understand it, but it was something something along the lines of like dialectic pentameter or some fucking weird oh, poetry I, shit. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what the hell it means either. I watched like two YouTube videos now for like <laughs> 20 minutes. I was still like, dude, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like, so at least with this thing, I kind of I kind of understood it. But uh, yeah. but yeah, again, it's called the a Caesura. Caesura. Really weird. It's probably like Caesar, like little Caesar's pizza, but U R A instead of like just E R A. I like how you go with little Caesar's pizza, not like Julius Caesar or anything like that. Who the fuck knows who Julius Caesar is? Or like a Caesar everybody salad. knows little Caesars. <laughs> what a time we live in, man. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna play a little bit of Rebel Without a Pause because eh, it's a Listen banger. To those pauses. Here we go. Radio 
right, that's Rebel Without a Pause from Public Enemy. They um they use that that JB's sample again from the ground. Yeah. Not the specific horn part that I liked, but a different different part. Yeah. Yeah. But they they use that song like three or four times, I think, throughout this entire album. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then of course they use the James Brown drum beat. Um which is common because like every fucking hip hop artist uses that. Or at the time they did. What else should we talk about? What else we got here? Well, let me let me let me check my my notes here. Um so okay, I guess we can go to like Rick Rubin's influence in this and Yeah, and Def Jam and all that stuff. I mean we're not gonna get deep into Def Jam, but I mean it, it does need to be talked about or should be talked about. So yeah, uh I I guess that Chuck D or Carlton Riddenhoer <laughs> uh met Flava Flav in college and at some point he hosted or co hosted this college radio station and him and Flava hooked up and they did a demo called Public Enemy Number One and somehow it got passed to Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin thought it was fantastic and wanted to sign them, but again didn't understand why Flava Flav was there. <laughs> and so only wanted to sign Chuck D. And he said, No, you need both of us. And so that's uh, that's kind of cool. I, I, again, I still I think that's fantastic. One of the few times that Rick Rubin's been wrong, you know. That was early on, though. You know, it was early on, that's yeah. Right. But I mean, it's cool how like Def Jam was. They were the record label that kind of discovered all these big acts, you know, with with Run DMC, Beastie Boys, uh, Public Enemy, LL Cool J. I think it was on Def Jam as well. Um, and then wasn't uh, was Slayer on Def Jam? Because I I think Rick Rubin like because I know Rick Rubin produced their first record and many other records, but I don't remember if they were on Def Jam or not. I don't know if they were on Def Jam, but I mean they did they were sampled on this album of Public Enemy sampled the Slayer part. Yeah, they they did they sampled a part of Angel of Death. Let me look it up. Raining, let me see, Raining Blood. They had to have been on Def Jam then. Because their first album was what, like early 80s? It was like 87. Yeah, 86 actually. Oh, this is just the song. I want the fucking album. God damn it. Son of a bitch. What was Rain like their Blood. popular 80s? Rain and Blood? Rain and Blood was their, their big one. That's the one with Angel of Death on it? Uh, No, Angel of Death was on their second record. Dude, what the fuck? What the f- Do you want me to look it up real no, quick? No, no, I no. I got it right here. I got, like, I got it right five, here. Y'all thumbs today or what? <laughs> No, it's like it it's Jeez linking me to like Louise. it's linking me to weird parts of Wikipedia. It's not Why would you not just Google Slayer? I did. And then like the first oh. link that should pop up is probably Wikipedia. I see I typed in Rain and Blood record and that was the one I clicked on, but then it wasn't giving me the one I Oh Rain and Blood was their third record. Yeah, it was what year was Rain and Blood? Rain and Blood was eighty six. Yeah, it was eighty six and it was on it was on Def Jam. Def Jam oh, and Geffen. Damn, what was her how what what year was her first album then? First album was eighty three. Show No Mercy was eighty three. Dang, Slayer's been killing since eighty three. Yeah, or probably eighty. I, I, guess. I don't know why I thought Rain and Blood was their first record, but whatever. Oh, Angel of Death was on was on Rain and Blood. So yeah, this is eighty six. Angel of Death was eighty six. Okay, so and that was on Def Jam. Yeah, it was on Def Jam. This record was on Def Jam, and okay, Rick Rubin so then, produced it. So makes sense. Is that their only one that he produced? Do you know? I think he produced like a good half of their records. So I guess yeah, then that's that would make sense that why um, Public Enemy would have I guess why they sampled it and sampled it, it so easily. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Should we play that song? 
I mean, it's whatever you want to do, dude. It's your. It's not just my pod. You know that. No, it's your. Uh, it's your podcast here. Yeah, it's not just just mine. Wait, what? Oh, it's uh, she watched Channel Zero. That's a really good song too. This is this is one of my my certified bangers as well. Do you have bangers and certified bangers? No, they're all certified. A banger, it's either certified or it's not a banger. So There's no middle ground. It's just no middle ground. It's either certified or it's nothing, or it's okay or it's a stink a certified stinker. Well, now the, but you know you're saying like three different things here. No, I'm saying that certified banger. Then there's a good or an okay song or album, and then there's a certified stinker. So there's three different. There's three different things. Well, you just said there's only two, but that's fine. Well, I changed my mind at the last second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here's uh, here's she watched Channel Zero. I, I also want to talk about what it's about too because it's interesting. Here we go. That she watch Channel Zero from Public Enemy. so good. Oh, it's amazing. And this is the one song on the record that I feel like Rage Against the Machine took the most inspiration from. The like the the just the chorus where she goes, she watch, she watch is very it's something that Zach does a lot in Rage songs. You know, he speaks it so fast too that it it almost changes what it says and kind of the meaning of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she watch as opposed to what it sounds like. It's like she want almost, right? Yeah, I, I, I this is like the one. Um, this is the one kind of like weird song lyrically. I feel on the record, it's kind of like a little bit more. I don't want to say lighthearted, but it's just different because they kind of talk about you know don't watch so much TV and don't get like brainwashed by it because that's kind of what TV is. You know, it just, it, it, it kind of takes you away from what you, you're normally used to, but then people get so obsessed with it and it kind of like changes their personality and everything and essentially brainwashes them. But so it's, it's a, it's a different song for them. I feel on this record. It's it's almost like a different song for, for music and hip hop in general, because of the fact that they're making fun of this girl or this woman Mm-hmm. Not 
or, or they don't not. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 dislike her not because of like a physical thing, but because she's an idiot and she watches these fucking stupid channels. And Channel Zero being the static channel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like Channel Zero being like the AV channel that you'd plug in your N64 to, where it's just straight up <laughs> static, yeah. which is, in their eyes, no different than watching bullshit news. And so watching the fact that this news. girl watches these these news stations is, is no different than her just watching static and rotting her brain out. And I think that's mm-hmm. cool. I think that's cool to see them not, obje- not objectify <laughs> a woman like that <laughs> and think that she's an idiot because she watches stupid TV. Yeah, but then a lot of people have pointed out the irony that uh, Flavor Flav was in several reality shows in yeah. the two thousands <laughs> when they were like, yeah, you know what I mean. But. He, I also read somewhere too that he didn't want to do those things, but somebody, in, some famous per MC Hammer, told him that he's like, hey, dude, you should just do it. MC Hammer, yeah, like one of the most washed up artists of that era. See, that's tough too because I don't know if he's like washed up because he was never, he was never that high to be washed up in. He, just he had was. The, he had one of like the most popular songs of the nineties. He had arguably one of the greatest one-hit wonders of all time. But yeah, that was it. And he's 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 most notable for being bankrupt because of that, and not knowing how to deal with his money. And ever since then, he's been trying to kind of like recuperate by doing. Or by talking about how to like save your money and and I don't know just being more fiscally responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where Flavor Flav was at the point, and Flavor Flav saw the surreal life and then Flavor of Love as being like a washed up has been. But I think it's it's kind of important to see these these guys like or these these public figures like this, kind of like in a human. I don't know, like a human dialogue. Like you, you, I can relate more to seeing Flavor of of love than I can just listening to Flavor Flav on this album. I guess so, but, uh, but that stuff's not even like real. Like it doesn't even come off as being real, you know? Oh, it was real, baby. No, it's it's called real. the surreal life, Tyler. Real's <laughs> in the title. <laughs> How more real can it get? That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> so dumb. Um, I did want to bring up something about this record, which I thought was pretty impressive. But it, it only took them 30 days to record this entire record, and it only cost them $25,000. That's fucking insane, especially considering how many samples there were. It just goes to show that they paid for nothing, for no none of the royalties. Yeah, I thought that was very bizarre, too. Like, almost, like, sh- shysty kind of, right? It does seem like that a little bit, yeah. Like, like they thought to themselves, I wonder how much we could get away with. <laughs> and they got away with a lot, definitely. But I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Yeah, no, it's 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 great stuff. But damn, you guys got to pay for something. <laughs> I know. But the public enemy like cha- like paved the way, changed the game in, in so many ways, right? Like politically charged hip hop. That's number one. Fusing mm-hmm. rap and metal, right, with their collab with Living Color. That's number two. And then one of the first groups to like release all digital albums, MP3 formats, and then be outspoken in favor of music downloading. Yeah. Like they were just they were pioneers on so many different facets of music. It's they just didn't fucking care about anything except nope. just what people heard. They just wanted people to hear their music. And that's another thing too. Like I didn't realize how influential and how actually massive they were because one of the I don't remember which album. I don't know if I don't think it's this one, but one of their albums is in the Library of Congress as being like a historical 
piece of music history. And then they just, this year we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but this year they got the, the lifetime achievement award at the Grammys. They were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame for what that's worth in 2013. But then looking at the ratings and reviews for this particular record, I did not see one negative review and everything gave this like a perfect score. Everybody gave this album a perfect score. I've never seen that from any artist, from any band. Never have, never. It's absolutely insane. I think, okay, so Fear of a Black Planet, that was the album after this one. That's the one that had Fight the Power on it. Mm-hmm. And the 911 is a joke. Yeah. But that that's the one that got inducted into the, the Library of Congress. Oh, was it that one? Work. Okay. Yeah. But this album in particular, I think because of its overuse of samples and it's kind of like paving the way of all this new age of hip hop like this is almost like the start of what they of what we call like the golden era of hip hop right like this was like the beginning of the best of the best like this was the one that started it all i feel and like i think this that's is, why people like it i feel like this is the end of the golden era i feel like the golden era of hip hop was the 80s no dude see i no i don't way. i think to me personally i i prefer hip hop of the 80s than i do the 90s i've i've never really been a huge fan of like gangster rap or, or the east coast rap or any of that stuff i never really cared for it it wasn't until like the mid to late 90s when like more like of the um what is it? what we talked about this a couple of weeks ago what is that kind of hip hop called the not the woke rap but the woke hip hop like, but the like conscience rap conscious yeah like that's kind of like when tech 9 and like those and like jedi mind tricks and stuff like that came about it was like the mid 90s like that was cool but like the gangster rap i just i cannot get into I mean, Some again, great, great right, production like the, and great beats, but that's about it. Like the golden era of hip hop is not like 15 years. It spans like maybe eight years. Yeah. Like maybe eight years. It's strictly like late 80s, early 90s. But I think what like really defines or what really kind of elevates like the golden age is for just like it's innovation. Yeah. Like elevating rap. And yeah, like rap in the 80s was, was cool and but there was no like it all kind of sounded the same there was really no deviation from like that standard of mm-hmm. of what you would know as 80s rap and every time you hear an 80s hip hop song you know exactly what decade it's from right yeah well, absolutely and again it's like so rap distinct. rap is like still kind of in its infancy it's not like rock music or it's not like classical or jazz mm-hmm. it's 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 it has it's not been around young. it has not been around half a century right no yeah, so it's still right. it's still evolving it's still kind of like going through everything and i think that's kind of really cool even though i very much dislike this new age of rap that we're in right now it's fun to listen to kind of the evolution from you know like grandmaster flash and dj caloric up until juice world and xxx tentacion oh, god but there is an evolution there as opposed is, to yeah. listening to like 70s music up until 80s music we're like okay and then the 90s okay 2000s it's just like rock music kind of peaked at some point and now we're just kind of cherry picking what's good and the for the majority of it's just kind of garbage like yeah. rock like rock music has kind of already left it's gone done uh, yeah i mean i i don't i don't i can't really see where like how much more rock music can expand without like picking up on more electronic music which it's starting to do at this point but other than that like like how many more styles can you create i mean i feel like we've covered music has like covered every part of rock you know it's weird i feel like one of two things is probably going to happen with music either a will completely revert and reboot and reset go back to 
like Beethoven, Mozart type stuff, or yeah. uh, it's no, just going to be this weird like fusion of every single thing. It's just going to be more electronic. That's what I think it is. Like, what was it? Uh, what's his name? Jim Morrison said, you know, the future of music is electronics and it's tapes. And he was essentially kind of predicting where everything was going, you know. With, well, that's where we're at now. Well, no, but I mean, that even started, because what do you say, that like in 67 or 68, and then not even 10 years later, you have a band like Kraftwerk come up, and Kraftwerk set the set the table for electronic music, starting with, you know, with them, and then you have like Depeche Mode and like various other electronic artists, and then that led into Nine Inch Nails, and then so on and so forth. But now we're at so, an age where you don't have to play any instruments to make any music. You don't do anything, right? Like, like even like Daft Punk going back decades earlier. You don't even have to be able to keep a beat because now we have automation. We have things that can do that for us, which is right. crazy to me. But at some point, like, it's just going to be so polluted with this electronic music. There's going to be nowhere to go. And so, as a society, we like we're always craving that new thing. That's just that's how we are as people, as humans. Mm-hmm. And so, when everything becomes just one song. At some point, it's going to have to. There's going to be something different. I think at that point, it's it's going. We're going to reboot. We're going to have to, or the yeah, world's going to end. <laughs> and speaking of like you know how how music is made nowadays, um, what I thought was really interesting about the the making of this particular record and the amount of samples that was that were that were used, they used no computers when it came to to the making of it. So everything was hand done. So everything had to be cut. All the tape had to be cut and mixed in together all by hand there was nothing by computers and can you imagine the tedious process of of everything that's involved with this record and doing all of that in 30 days and then like all the it's fuck ups that happen and all like yeah. the bad cuttings and it's just like dude fuck that but that that gives you like even more an appreciation not only for the amount of time they spent but how involved they were with that music and how like how they not only made the music but they like lived it you know what i mean like yeah. they like that was their actual child. It wasn't just some thing on a hard drive that got erased and like, oh fuck. But I remember most of the parts to it. It's like if they cut that shit in a wrong place or if anything happened to it, like that's that's so much work from so many different people mm-hmm. that need to be recreated if they can even recreate it. Exactly. It's so so complicated and so intricate. It, it's crazy. It's insane. So do you want to play anything else or should we wrap it up and then give our ratings and go home? You want to go home? Go home. Let's see. Home, Let me, I'm just looking at my notes here. <laughs> so Car- Carlton Riddenhauer, Hauer, that's Chuck D. That's his mm-hmm. real name. Norman Rogers, Terminator X. He had kind of an interesting life after Public Enemy, right? He, yeah, he just retired and went and raised ostriches. Black yeah. ostriches. ostriches. Yeah. So fucking weird. <laughs> like, I, it, it was very weird until I read like an interview that he did and like the reasons why he did it and I guess like the mad cow disease thing at the time ostrich meat was supposed to take over like cow meat. And I think ostrich meat is very similar to cow meat in that. And so I think that's why he kind of chose that. It's like a sustainability type of thing. Interesting. So that's kind of cool. And the whole bomb squad, the brothers Shockley's and then Eric Sadler, they're pretty much, I mean, not pretty much, they are behind all of the samples here. Yeah. They're the ones that, that produced or helped produce this album. They're the ones that got all of the samples. They've worked with a ton of hip-hop artists, and they're just like a hip-hop production team. They're really solid. Yeah, I'd say one of the best. And then obviously Rick Rubin, a part of history, as always. Yeah. Everything he touches is pretty much gold. Oh, fuck yeah. That brought me up the Weezer thing. 
What? What about Weezer? Oh, when did they work with them? No, the Red okay, Album. So, no, uh, not Rick Rubin. Uh, Public Enemy Weezer um, thing. So, in Don't Believe the Hype, Chuck D says that he's the epitome of Public Enemy. Oh, and Weezer fucking says it. Yeah, I've been trying to figure that out all week. He says I'm the epitome of Public Enemy. He does fucking say it. God damn but it! The way he says it too, Rivers like verbatim copies not only what he says. But also the way he says it too he in El Scorcho, yeah. it is insane. I, I've, I hope and I, I, I think that Rivers would do that because he is so musically trained and so open to other genres of music. I, I would think that he directly got that from Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, damn, he had that to. is so rad. That is so awesome. I love I've been it thinking so much. all week. I've been thinking all week. Every time I, I heard it on this album, I thought, "Fuck, what band says this?" And I, I for the life of me, I could not figure <laughs> it out. And you just told me who it was, what it was. The first time I heard Chuck D say it too, I even went off like on the opinion of the public enemy. So why you want to go and do me like that? <laughs> I, kept I was singing it too, and I was singing it in my head every time I heard it. I, w- I actually paused the the song a couple times, and I was in my head. I was just singing it over and over, trying to forget figure out who it was. It's been driving me crazy all fucking week. That's what it is, fucking Weezer. There it is, God baby. Damn it, Rivers. God damn it, Rivers. It's so great. Me. It is, and, and then so like one more thing I want to touch up, up touch upon real quick is the Prophets of Rage song. Yes, right. So, the Prophets of Rage, as we know, is a sad attempt at <laughs> wowing the world. Yeah, with this, and supposedly Chuck got the name from a Malcolm X quote where he asked, "Where are all the Prophets of Rage at?" Mm-hmm. And the song is pretty cool. It's not the greatest on the album. It's not bad. I think it's pretty cool. But damn, like to take a a song name, make it into a band, and then have that band kind of suck is just really... Yeah, it's sad. It's really sad. It is. Especially when you have all these ingredients in there that could make it really great. And honestly, I think I think the real problem with the Prophets of Rage band was Be Real. He was the one that, to me, really brought the whole band down down it's just he was so lackluster especially when he was singing zach's parts it just it wasn't good man it's not good I, but it's it's tough because as i i agree but i don't think even if you replaced him or took him out i still don't think that band would would be doing anything they, but they would still be better i feel they would still be better than than what they were with uh be real Especially after hearing Cypress Hill, like the best of Cypress Hill we've done already, and now the best of Public Enemy we've we've pretty much done, but and we've also done like Rage, but like everything from the bands in in uh, uh, by themselves are iconic, are historic, are the best that that genre's ever heard. Mm. You put them all together, and it's like this is this is like karaoke shit. It really is. There's nothing really they is. could have done to make that group good. Like they were doomed to begin with. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Ah, boy. So what else we got, man? We good? Also in Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos. I, mm-hmm. I got, You can just stop me whenever you've got to no, go. No, no, no. I'm just going to keep going on and on and on. <laughs> and on. So also in Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos, the small segues between the verses, they're mm-hmm. just like heavy drum beats. But yeah. they kind of get like increasingly harder, intense, more out of hand. And it kind of reminded me of that song Stand by Eminem. I could see that a little Which, bit. Which, like, in between that crazy guy Stan getting more and more drunk, like the rain beats harder, things like that. The song gets more intense. I think that's really cool. I think that's a really cool, like, I don't want to call it a trick, but a really cool trick 
that people <laughs> use to kind of get you kind kind of get you involved. Yeah. And throughout this entire album too, like there's always like this weird droning or this weird screeching that like the Terminator X is doing that just it, it makes you always just kind of feel uneasy. But not enough to make you want to turn it off. Yeah. But like yeah. like that that uneasiness kind of like leads to you just kind of being anxious and just like making you focus more on it because you don't like it or because it's weird or because it's 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 aggressive or whatever it is. You're you're focusing more on it. And I think that's a good technique that it uses to kind of keep your interest yeah you're right i totally understand where you're coming from on that one. Oh man we talked about the yeah we talked about the lyrics on that one because like the the part you're talking about with like the breakdown is kind of when flavor Flav comes in and kind of has his own thing and he's kind of like talking to chuck d about breaking out and this was definitely the most like gangster rap song on their album their most aggressive song on their album yeah and then uh, party for your right to fight, right? Fight for yeah, your right to Yeah, we didn't get party. into that one. Yeah, that, the final song. That was just, I mean, there's there's so many things about this song that I think are absolutely fantastic. One is just like the perfect fucking tag team attempt, right? Both mm-hmm. of them are in their own styles, going at it head to head together. They're not even like matching each other with no, words. No, not at all. So it's hard to follow sometimes. They're both unique in their own. Flava Flav doesn't keep up but also speeds up and then chuck t just kind of keeps that that tempo going but like yeah. my favorite part was the last lyric on this album they say it takes a nation of millions to hold us back end album yeah that's kind of cool that, that's really rad. cool so cool it is and it, the uh the voices too like chuck d only comes out of the right side of the ear and flavor Flav only comes out of the left or maybe vice versa i don't remember yeah but yeah, so that it kind of adds. So if you actually listen to it with headphones on, it's kind of it's it's kind of disorienting because yes, Flavor Flav, like you said, he does sing uh, off time a little bit. You know, he sings or he raps a little bit, sl- just a tiny bit slower than Chuck D. So it it's weird. It's a really weird song, and it, but the samples are really cool too. Like with the Beastie Beastie Boy samples, and it's a good like um a, not it's not a fuck you. It's like a good just like. Homage. Uh, is, homage yeah i guess that's the best word to use to uh to the beastie boys i, I like that a lot and how they all got along it, it, it's really cool even though their music is their lyrically their music is so different i just i think that's really cool that they're still buds still at buds. the time yeah but man that's that's it's a good way to close the album too i thought because it kind of it because you kind of have this like kind of depressing really serious kind of stuff going on but then you kind of lyrically it's still it's still kind of deep and dark but the way it's portrayed is much more upbeat than the rest of the album so I, it was a good way to end that end the whole album yeah but. i think that was again like public enemy not just bombarding you with with making you feel bad for not caring about again like the societal injustices of what's going on but letting you know that there are things you can do there are things you can do like like the whole rock the vote thing mm-hmm. that was kind of fell on its face during like the, I think it was the, like the the first Bush, not the first Bush administration, but the first time George Bush in 2000 was elected. The I whole, think so, yeah. The whole rock the vote thing kind of came about and PDD got involved. But it was just, it, was, it just always came across as silly. And that was right around the times where we could vote too. I think like that first 2000 presidential election was the first time we could vote for a president, right? No, we weren't 18. Yeah, we were in two. No, two thousand four. Sorry, no. Two thousand no, two thousand four. We 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 turned eighteen in two thousand five. 
So we missed. We oh, missed. We graduated the in 2005. You're right. Yeah. So 2008 is when the first presidential election we could vote in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's when Rock the Vote. Because I remember Rock the Vote was still kind of out. No, Rock the Vote, I think you're right. I think it started in 2000. I don't think I so. Think I, I think Rock the Vote was like it mainstreamed around the time where we could first vote. It was. I know it was Bush era. It had, I know for sure it was Bush era. Bush it wasn't was president Obama. for like 14 years. He was president forever. <laughs> you're so dumb. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he was. He was fucking, he was present for so uh, long. But it, I, I thought about well, this song too. Um, I mean, like like I said, it, their lyrics are still deep, but it, it kind of talks about like, you know, he talks a lot about the start of the civil rights movement and how, you know, a lot of it was infiltrated by the FBI, like the Black Panther movement was infiltrated by the FBI. And he kind of feels that that's kind of how public enemies music is and how they're kind of, he's like being wiretapped and he's being watched by the FBI. And then what was, what I thought was interesting too, he even brought up like the Freemasons, like he brought up like kind of like a conspiratorial things, which he doesn't, he didn't normally do on this record. I think this is like the only time he really did that on this record where he brought up something like the Freemasons, which was, I thought it was, it was interesting. Let's just say that a lot of, a lot of, I mean, definitely a lot of conspiracies surrounding what they're talking about even that guy khalid Mo- mohammed mm-hmm. was that when you said earlier yeah he um he got shot like he was like in like an assassination attempt yeah and they believe that it was that it was like perpetrated by somebody who wanted to keep him quiet and what he was preaching about not just some, like some raised, crazy fan but it was it was by some government he ended yeah. up living through that assassination attempt but i mean who fucking knows man i don't know mm-hmm. You never know, man. It's it's crazy. It's a crazy know. world out there. All right, what are you gonna give this record, Jeff? What do, what do you think? I gotta give it, I'm gonna give it a three. This is a three. You're gonna give it a three. perfect three. Yeah, this is a perfect album. Perfect three. I have wow. no complaints. I was trying to in my head think real quick, like why can I not give this a three? Yeah. Damn, dude, a three. You you don't give this out very often. Mm-mm. That's crazy. Oh man. Well, for me, dude, I'm gonna have to give this a perfect three as well. Hey. Dude, it's it everything, the lyrics, the beats, the vibe, everything is just it's spot on. It it is perfect. Absolutely fucking perfect. I this is one of the few occasions where we've both given something a perfect rating. I think it's only happened maybe twice before. What else have we given a perfect rating to? I think we gave Pinkerton a perfect rating and maybe like Blink self titled. Yeah. That's it. Damn. <laughs> that's crazy. It's so fucking good. And I think you gave um Corn's life is peachy, a perfect rating. All right, now we're just now we're just like making the listeners confused and stuff by your stupidity talk. But it's true. But it's true. All right. Well, that's it. That's all for um for Asinine Radio. This is this was a this was a really good one. I enjoyed this one because we talked about a, a fucking great album. We actually know what we're doing next next week. We're actually doing several episodes because Jeff and I will be together in the same room, hanging out. Listening to music, talking Punk-a-thon. about it, it, it's OC Punk Punkorama. The OC Punkorama. That's what it is. Absolutely. So that's what we're doing. Um, it's going to be great. And uh, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Asinine Radio. 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 Go to iTunes. Go rate, review, and subscribe to us on there. Follow us on social media at Asinine Radio. Thank you again for listening. So long. Farewell. I don't.
anyway, uh, let's let's get right into our beer. Fear, <laughs> let's get into our fearless beer review. <laughs> like Sonata Arctica. That's just, I just Sonata Arctica. I, uh, I cannot fucking say it. They put out a new song called They Don't Want What We Want and They Don't Care. They don't want and what it, we want. What 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 but it's it, it but it it is not good. It's not it's you not don't like good. this? 